This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cam Raslan, today we have the returns of, she is, uh, she's, a, she's a PhD, she's a doctor, therefore the cleverest person I know. She is Dr. Anne Lee. Hi, Cam. <laughs> and he is better and better. Thank yeah. you. And he is uh, he's a musician and an educator, both of which are going to be relevant to uh, what we're about to talk about. He is Asmil Yunor. Hey, man. Hey. How are you doing? Great to see you. <laughs> uh, so our three topics uh, this week are two of them are newly discovered to the to our hosts uh, concepts. So topic number one is power distance index. Topic number two is the movie Black Narcissus, and can I still like it? And finally, topic number three is Weapons of the Week. So, uh, Anne, the Power Distance Index. Yeah, okay. So, um, I mean, I'm sure, you know, many many people know this, especially in the area of, of HR where it's it's been kind of applied. But I've just recently discovered that um, this is the work of, of um, Git, Hofstede, I didn't speak Dutch, but he's 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 a he was a, a social psychologist. He passed away um, just last year, but uh, he was uh, very interested in in kind of the invisible cultural forces that uh, uh, can be distinguished between people and between countries. So, for example, he came up with this idea of um, cultural dimensions. Uh, in uh, he came up with six different. Uh, uh, things. One is the power distance index, which I, I would just, and the other is something called individuals and uh, collect, collectives, um, as, uh, masculinity and femininity, something called uncertainty avoidance, um, long-term and short-term orientation and indulgence versus restraint. So from this, he does this kind of like um, global uh, study. And in fact, he started in the 1960s and 70s with, at, at, when he was an uh, IBM employee, um, and they had just done this kind of, you know, global study of, of, of their employees across the world. So um, power distance index is, is the degree to which members of the society expect and accept an uneven distribution of authority, services, and privileges. And for me, that is, it's, it's one of the most interesting of the six, if not remember, because Malaysia uh, records um, having the highest, Malaysia is given the highest uh, PDI uh, 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 grade. Um, so meaning we, we uh, now of course the study has comes with a disclaimer around, you know, please do not take this as hard and fast rules, you know, uh, uh, that, that are applied in every single context. But as a generalization, Malaysia has the most members of society that accept and expect um, uh, uh, an uneven distribution of authority. Um, and I mean, we're interested in a lot of superlatives. I don't know, I mean, you know, we're like the little engine that could, but uh, it strikes me that it is a very sad figure to uh, score in, um, to have the highest PDI. And yet, you know, if we don't take it as a hard and fast rule, it is also an example of the kind of, you know, on the positive side, it's like, how much can you tahan, you know, the level of tolerance of what you are able to, to, to be patient with. And of course, I mean, the, the, the opposite is, is very obvious, you know, the extent to which you are 
accepting and, um, um, you know, expecting an uneven distribution? How, how impairing, how impaired does that make uh, uh, a society? Can, can, I, can I give an example of what I understand, a classic example? My, my, my wife is in human resources and she uses this PDI quite a lot. Okay. Uh, and and I haven't always listened to everything she's said on the matter, but <laughs> as I've kind of understood it, uh, I, I, I always thought Malaysia was not number one, but uh, South Korea was number one, but they're both up there. And uh, by the way, you're not very patriotic. Malaysia, number one. Uh, <laughs> Sweden is last. So put that in your Scandinavian social <laughs> services. And... Uh, I'm going to eat fish. But the example from South Korea was um, uh, uh, pilots flying. Okay. The chief pilot and people, you know, revere the chief pilot. They were flying directly into a mountain. Uh, But the the co-pilot could see this. But but, but the chief pilot was somehow confused and he refused to accept. And the co-pilot, they could hear on the black box, although he knew, he wasn't quite. He wasn't able to say out loud, "Boss, we're going to crash into a mountain." He would be saying, "Do you think maybe we should? I don't know, pull up a little." Um, <laughs> and and the pilot said, "No, no, no." And so they crashed straight into the mountain because the the power distance index was so great that the co-pilot just didn't feel the authority enough to be able to question the pilot. Some, actually, that's a good point. I come. I've 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 been very interested. I mean, like I've I read about plane crashes, and there's always cases where in the cockpit the the PDI comes into effect a lot of cases, right? Because the captain and the first officer, mm. right? So that's that's mind blowing, mm. man. Um, but but another another well, reason why in, perhaps in, sorry, Anne, yes. So sorry, sorry, no, just just to say that yeah, that, that that's I mean that is a the, the terrible example and and uh, 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 but illustrative. Um, and it, well, in the in the year that I have Malaysia scores with 104, then the Slovak Republic comes second, Philippines comes third, Russia comes fourth, and Romania. There's no uh, South Korea, but I think we are oh. clear on. on <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, <laughs> some may say, "Oh, you know, this is Asian. This is these are Asian kind of you know respect for authority, respect for elder." Da, da, da. But it, this this it doesn't apply, right? It is it's very clearly something which is across. But, yeah, but can I just throw in one other thing, which is that this is often measured through um, financial services work. And Kuala Lumpur and Malaysia has a very old and well-mapped financial okay. services sector, whereas, say, Indonesia would not be, Philippines not be so well-mapped. So it might be a case that actually it's just been observed more in mm. Malaysia than yeah, yeah. other places. Okay. Uh-huh. okay. We're still number one. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. this, it's, 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 I yeah, mean, it's, as, as the disclaimer says, right? This it should be a headline stuff. somewhere, man, Malaysia. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> oh, have, have, have you not just experienced it, but have you actually given into this power distancing? Have you been feudal and servile, Anne? Yeah, I have. I have. And this is, this is something which I, I've always believed, for example, that it's possible to work within the system and achieve some change, uh, which makes me an incredibly kind of, much more conservative than I ever imagined I could be at the age of, say, I don't know, 18. But yeah, I think you make compromises all the time. And it's only when it feels like two steps forward and three steps back uh, uh, that you kind of, or even one step forward, you know, that, that you, you feel I have really made 
too much of a concession, you know? Um, but I think also that this is related to how, not that we want, we're going to go into it today, but, you know, the idea of cancer culture, for example, is to me is about kind of a tolerance, which is, nope, we're, we're not going to compromise. We're not going yeah. to uh, negotiate. No, uh, uh, we're not happy with that. Um, that kind of voice coming through, uh, mm. with, which are more... Um, yeah, less tolerant, but then tolerant is about sort of, you know, it's already been discussed around how tolerance can be so condescending, can be so, you know, uh, class specific and all of these other factors that, that when we say, oh, you know, we're very tolerant, that that's, that's like necessarily a virtue. Um, no, it's not. Uh, and it's, you know, dis disguising so many complex, so much complexity around what a person or what um, um, you know, a community is, is willing to accept in, in favor of something else, you know, um, mm -hmm. I think, I don't know, I don't know if you can, except maybe when you're a university student, um, where you have no less commitments than you'll ever have at any particular time, maybe that you can come forward with more um, specific and direct and Yeah, that, that's a conundrum I, I face being, being, you know, being in higher education, I mean, as, as an educate lecturer, right? I mean, um, the language, I mean, how they refer to you, right? I mean, sir, you know, I'm calling you sir, and the, the reverence they give to you. Definitely, there's a big power gap then. And the, the fact people don't ask questions, students don't ask questions. I think that that's a national problem because it that is not matter where they're not curious. I think it's, it's this, is a very acute awareness of the power difference, maybe, that I shouldn't ask questions. I don't know anything. He knows the best. And you see this abuse going on, right? Like yeah, Malaysia is very well known for Professor Kangkong, you know. So I mean, he's really just taking on that post, and, and you know, I know everything. Shut up, you know, without saying that, right? Mm. And and people just defer, and it, that is at the rot of our, I think, not just higher education, I think education in general. Yeah. Um. But but you see when students respond when they think they're right, it, it goes the other end. It's more like kind of bratty, like I deserve this. So it's it's um it's primarily because I think that there's very little awareness of or even um, ability to to articulate that that how do you, how how do we communicate that difference? Instead, they just go. That's what we do a lot here, right? We go to the the opposite end, you know, the binary end of whatever, without considering the gray area. So yeah, yeah it is present when you brought brought that up. It's true. I, I like to think of myself. We must move on, but uh, I like to think of myself as a modern, non-feudal kind of guy. But uh, <laughs> we're, we're, but we're feudal in Malaysia. It yeah, because when I did meet uh, Sultan Parrot once, and I, I, I was just suddenly I was like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. it's like you know, <laughs> everything out the window. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, it was just like you know, my entire body just kind of like just sort of dead. It's biological, right? It's kind of like <laughs> you, you embodied what, what actually it. What happened, Cam? I don't know. I don't know. I have no recollection, but I think I, I think I was polite <laughs> well, I and servile. You know, I was just one good nothing. Genetic management is in our blood. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we must move on, though. Uh, but I think we're actually going to return in, in many ways to this to, to aspects yeah. of this PDI with uh, with our third topic. Uh, but I, I just want to go on now. Topic number two, which is uh, the movie Black Narcissus and Can I Watch It Still? So the movie Black Narcissus, it came out in 1946, uh, immediately after the Second World War. It's a British film made by Michael Powell, uh, one of Martin Scorsese's favorite directors. I think actually Black, Black Narcissus might be his, his most favorite film. And um, it's set in India, which was at that time still part of the British Empire. And... It's about a bunch of nuns who are sent to uh, 
start up a nunnery up in the Himalayas. And it, the nunnery is, is in this old palace. So there's sort of erotic Indian, erotic paintings everywhere. You know what they're like. I think there are literally jungle drums in the background the whole time. And, and, and these uh, nuns sort of start to go a bit kind of crazy one way or the other, especially uh, lustfully. Um, because of because of India, you know what it's like, and they, uh, they there's this prince who's this rather useless, vain man, young man, um, and he's uh, he's played by uh, a young Indian actor called Sabu, who a few years earlier had been in the Jungle Book. And when my mother saw this young Indian, my mother in Wales saw this young Indian actor not wearing a shirt, she said, "One day I'm going to marry a brown man," and. Uh, <laughs> And so he's very beautiful, uh, but he was this useless fellow, and he was Indian, so therefore he was black, and so he is the black Narcissus, which is a very bad thing to say. I I loved the film when I saw it, but but it is exoticizing, it is Orientalist to the max, um, and 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 my mother said that very. Um, reductive thing about brown people and so i'm wondering now can i actually watch this film and many other films old films mm. uh, which which speak of the mystical orient um where you'd have an indian fella being played by alec guinness say or you know <laughs> can, black face brown face yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's not full-on blackface but it's yeah. i guess it is actually um uh what, what do i do with these films um, can I still enjoy them, or am I, am I acceding to something dark and blackface from the past? Anne, I, I need you to, to to judge. I want you two to judge. Okay, sit in judgment. You to go first, Anne. Alphabetically. <laughs> okay. I, wait, wait. Is, what is your is is it your course kind of like cinema appreciation kind of course, or what is what is your course? Uh, Asmil, Asmil, what's your course? Oh, me, what I teach. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 well, I teach a film production program, but I teach a lot of the, uh, yeah, you could say falls under that category, world cinema, et cetera, and deals exactly with this kind of stuff I think you're talking about. I will, oh, yeah. Well, I would just say, yeah, as long as it's, you know, <laughs> if it's, I think it's important, very important to frame it within that, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, you just watch it as something that, like, you're just looking at the aesthetics or the storytelling as if there's, you know, nothing problematic around identity and representation. I, I, mm. I would frame that, watching that film um, within a kind of, you know, uh, a, a week within a module of, of looking at representation of, of yeah. you know, empire and cinema and the whole issue of blackface, brownface, yeah. Yeah, I think you're being nice to me because you're my friend. You can't, you can't bring yourself to, to cancel me. I think, I, think, I think it has to be watched. You know, it has yeah. to be. It, but, but, I mean, I don't, I don't think you you destroy the film. For example, yeah. I don't think you do yeah. that. I think you, it it must be framed in a historical context, and yeah. that's yeah. and that's how to watch it. Yeah. Okay, Asmil. Yeah. You know, it's definitely something that, that this is just waiting to be in a, in a course and a subject somewhere in university. Definitely because it's definitely a subject you would. It was a film that you would that will elicit a lot of discussion, especially exactly what you talked about, looking at orientalist sort of uh, leanings of cinema and the history of cinema, which is, has always been very kind of like, the problem of representation is there. So I, I would say you watch it because, because you understand the context now. And you know, you're, not, you're not watching and accepting everything, right? You're not a passive viewer. 
So, mm. so these are cultural artifacts of the time and place. So, um, it's it's definitely something as Anne said. You you can't you can't just say this doesn't exist. It's done. It's there. So it's indicative of the time. Mm. And it's interesting to see other films from that same period and how maybe representations kind of echoed throughout. And mm. all right. Well, there's another layer to it. When um, the movie came out in 1946, it was one of the first movies to be released in post-war Malaya. Okay. And and I found this in the archives that um, the Catholic Church started complaining about it, and because they said that it showed Catholicism in a bad light, and that there were these nuns all being driven by lust, and it's like it's not like that, and so uh, the British authorities uh, gave into the Catholic Church and they banned the film. Oh, so, so banned in Malaysia. Banned in Malaysia. Mal- Malaya, Malaya. Then. In Malaya. Okay. And so, uh, not not uh, over in um, Sabah, British, British North Borneo, yep. I'm sure. And so, so, your 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 family could have watched it, I suppose. Um, but they also North Borneo, what same kind of British? That was no, a company. No, 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 no it was a yeah, different, they're, they're different, independent guns, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nineteen forty-six, you said. Nineteen forty-six, yeah. Um. Actually, no, it may have been under, it may have been Crown, Crown, hmm. Crown Colony by then, yeah. Uh, so, but anyway, so it was banned. So, uh, and probably, yeah. So, there we actually had uh, the, the, the beginning of, a, um, of a, a national trait. And of course, after independence, the Catholic Church lost all <laughs> whatever, whatever importance it ever had. And now the, the, the important uh, religion is able to ban something like Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that's so a are. fine Malian tradition, isn't yeah, it? That's right. And uh, so, I, so that brings it into that. But uh, thank you. I can still watch it. It's a beautiful film, by the way. It really. Yeah, is. watch it. I mean, if you find the the, the 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 remastered or whatever box set, get it. Don't feel guilty about it because yeah, it's, well, it's. And you two should watch it too. So thank you. And in a moment, we're going to be uh, talking about weapons of the week here on a bit of culture BFM eighty nine point nine. And we're back with myself, Cam Ruslan, and uh, Dr. Anley. Sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, Dan. And uh, <laughs> Asmil Yunor. And uh, now, Asmil, uh, Weapons of the Week. Yeah, this was a new concept. A friend of mine, fellow academic musician, Dr. Adil Johan. Okay, same gang uh, we and PhD is. Um, so he, we were having conversation on the phone, just catching up, man. I'm doing a presentation about singer-songwriters research that I'm, I'm doing now and doing it for this uh, community of academics. Um, online, so um, it's supposed to be a workshop, and you know, I'm kind of pan- not panicking, but wondering like, what do I workshop on? And it's based on a book chapter, academic chapter that's going to come out soon. I kind of found my niche a bit in that mucky field of popular music studies. That I'm really interested in looking at um, forms of protest music, and Malaysia as an example. So that's been something I've been presenting at conferences a lot, but really just trying to find my way and. Adil presented this idea, just he threw the phrase, weapons of the week. It was like, as if I, he, the way he mentioned it, it was as if like um, I knew it, but it was new to me. So, so thanks Adil for dropping that, man. Um, then I started reading, just very quick Google search and finding out about it. And I had never come across it because I, I think James Scott, who was the, 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 the author and researcher, he's an anthropologist, right? So, so I'm coming from media culture studies. So kind of, is very instrumental because it's essentially a sub, it's description of kind of a subtle way of peasant 
uh, protest, right? Where the protest isn't so evident. It's not in your face. There's no, there's no riots in the streets, building burning, um, or you know, or even in the terms of let's say, okay, music. It's not direct protest music, but it's protest in forms of non non compliance, for example, right? I think that you mentioned a good example there, and where you know villagers coming out and just being late, etc. It echoed what I've been thinking a lot as, as a musician and being in, in the underground scene, in the punk scene, um, where and organizing singer-songwriter scenes where you have a lot of people, very diverse, very, very countercultural, but yet we're doing, we used to do like 15 years ago shows in public, but yet at the same time, um, there were now in, 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 in hindsight were forms of protest. Um, and, and it really fits this weapons of the week sort of, uh, and it's new to me. I'm trying to, I got, I got to read the whole thing a bit more. But is this the conundrum we're in Malaysia, where where you know people aren't protesting outwards, and people it, are people apathetic? That's always been my concern. Are people really apathetic? But I don't really necessarily see that because let's say musicians in Malaysia are kind of really emasculated because nobody, if you're a musician, you sing. It, there's no context of politics at all, even everyday politics. It's out the window, right? People play to the script, play to the checkbox. And it's very frustrating as somebody who wants to say something, you know, as a musician. So um, I just found it interesting because um, it's something I've always been suspicious about Malaysia. I was like, why? Now, Indonesia has very strong protest music, um, Philippines, Thailand, even though they had strong military presence and your know, coups. Um, well, I'm not considering Singapore because you know, we were kind of joined at the hip. We were together at one time, you know, so so we're together, you know, like how come Singapore, Malaysia, no protests, kind of like singers, you know, mm-hmm. never, never emerged. Somebody who can rally the crowd. Well, so the well, closest, I would say, a folk singer that we have, who's not necessarily folk, is Sudirman. Yeah. Even though he's a pop singer, but the song Balik Kampung, he composed that, man. Um, and that's a song that's secular. Any kind of community can sing along to that Balik Kampung, you know, and, you know, it's holy hours. But we never had anybody that, that had fire in the belly to go out and say, yeah, down with the system. Nobody does that. Well, well fortunately for, for I, you I and me, Asmil, Anne knows uh, about this power distance. Okay. That's power distance. <laughs> yeah, 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 Weapons yeah. of the week. and educate us. No, no, please, please. <laughs> I just, no, I just wanted to add to uh-huh. what Asmil's saying is, is that, um, I mean, yeah, that that, that is... James C. Scott's uh, Weapons of the Week is, is a classic study within mm. resistance studies. Uh, and, you know, for like when, for my research on, on satire, he, I think he looks at, it's a kampung in, in Kedah, Sadaka, I think that, that uh, between <laughs> the years of 19, like late 1960s, to, uh, in which I think it's, uh, he, he looks at how um, um, new technology is being introduced uh, to the, the farmers. And, you know, there's all the kind of intersection, uh, the sort of politics of how, who is introducing this, you know, I'm no politician and then there's other part, you know, and it's how do the farmers and this particular, st- in his study, do they resist, you know, so they, like you said, exactly, they're late for the briefing about something, you know, uh, uh, or they're sick or something like that. Um, for satire also, the weapon of a week is also in, not necessarily in a written form. You know, I think Scott uses that Ethiopian proverb of, you know, uh, the powerful king passes and the wise peasant farts. It's something like that. I mean, I paraphrase, but, you know, it's, 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 it's 
actions of resistance or rebellion that you do, which may be small scale, um, mm. um, but nevertheless uh, 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 are very important and powerful messages. I think the half the case in, in, in Malaysia is that we don't actually have the history of, of it, that it has been depending on, you know, because we've had one particular, um, um, you know, base, uh, 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 um, what do I mean? Not Barisan, what's Barisan? Um, Oh, coalition forget, forget in, in, so in, soon, don't they? <laughs> it's national, I think it's you know, called. And it's been called. so it, the 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 you know all the work by people like you know Fami uh, 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 Reza the, the the work has been you know has erased a lot of this history, so that we think there isn't a history of protest musicians or you know, mm -hmm. but maybe there is if we kind of look deeper and go against the grain and and all of that, but. I think, yeah. and especially I agree, you know, as well, when we compare with like Indonesia or the Philippines or, you know, we, we look like such genteel protesters, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I mean, COVID never stopped anyone <laughs> in Bangkok yeah. or, or in Manila from going out. But, On the streets, yeah. That's you know, yeah. Um, or, or for authority in Myanmar to... Oh, yeah. To take over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but, yeah. but can I just can I just add? I mean, three things. One is perhaps it means that the people actually quite like the system and they don't feel the need to protest anything particular. Yeah. And perhaps there are avenues that they feel confident and comfortable with protesting. I'm just putting it out there, folks. Okay. Um, and another is if you, if you is, is education yeah. too. Ken. I mean, that is yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you go back in time, though, um, I mean, pre pre colonial that uh, you had many different sultanates and that if a person was really pissed off living in one, they just move over to another. They just move over to another. Yeah. Um, and so a sultan was actually having to, it was, uh, it was a lot of beauty contest going on there. I mean, mm -hmm. they could not take power for absolute granted. Yeah. Because the, the third thing is that many sultans did not live to a ripe old age. Yeah. Um, and that there would be, yeah, not not peasant risings, but there would be palace coups. Their position was never secure. So that the way that they governed wasn't necessarily uh, full-on authoritarianism that would yeah, sort of bring yeah. a, 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 yeah. a violent clash, but sort of like, you know, more subtle ways to, to pay off yeah. the uh, the citizens, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Well, to, to lift off from you, there's... Uh, I would say that to, to this more this is my flag waving side of me. Like, I think we're sophisticated people. Maybe <laughs> no, we, we 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 play with soft power a lot because we we see right how it's wielded by the people above us in power, and and we kind of like subtly play onto that. So like exactly you said, that there's never been like really um, sort of like really knee jerk reaction of of against something, but very small scale. Like you said that the, the wise man farts. That sort, that sort of level of 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 everyday kind of uh, resistance is not. Uh, again, my my my. Wouldn't wouldn't say my grouse, but I think we need to give some credit the fact that we do protest certain ways, but it's just not understood in the larger global paradigm of protest. I suppose. So I find Malaysia very interesting. Maybe potentially, maybe this could be my thesis for my PhD. You know, like is is this something about like. That the condition that Malaysians resist things, um, like that's probably why Malaysians flock to Twitter, right? 
Mm. Malaysians are on Twitter crazy. Where do they find the time? But anyway, but that that and, and the vocal, kind of, very vocal, very vocal. But when you meet them in person, it's different, or you don't see them on the streets, right? So, so I, I find that I'm not, not sure. I mean, I'm just trying to get my finger on the pulse. Here, that that this there's something interesting merging here in terms of how we resist things. I think Malaysia, mm. not just about the music, but in everyday politics, you know. Um, so yeah. what, it's what, not it's not it's not great in photos, lah. Wow. You know, like it's, you know, you swarm the street with flags, and that's great for Reuters, you know. But you know, like tweet screenshots, you know, that's not the same. Well, some of the older <laughs> members of the audience might remember things called Bursay. Um, oh, it's happened in the dim that? distant past. I, yeah, <laughs> you can be forgiven for forgetting. Oh, the child. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we must move on, but I just want to say then, by your uh, definition, perhaps, Asmil, when I'm late for a deadline, I'm actually being a freedom fighter. Yeah, that's why we're always late. We're, we're fighting yeah. for freedom, man. <laughs> Little Shea Gravares. Well, uh, I, I think I, I work well with my students because they're always asking for extend, extended deadlines. So you got well to respect done. that. You got to respect yeah. that. Yeah, freedom fight. I, 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 I smile when they <laughs> okay. ask for that. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to move on though and uh, we'll go to the final part of the show, recommendations, where I recommend something you think might be of interest and Anne Lee's going to go first. Okay, thanks, Cam. Uh, I... For me, um, I'm trying to use this time um, as as an opportunity to read things that I wouldn't typically read. Um, um, so, like, what I want to recommend is something is fantasy is a is a book of fantasy fiction, um, mm. and I never read. I rarely read fantasy uh, because somehow it's 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 a world in which you know there are warriors and there are worlds <laughs> and and they're always you know it's it's sort of predictable kind of fightings over power and all blah, 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 blah. Um, and and where men are men and women are women except for one or two exceptions or something like that you know um, but but what I'm reading here is uh, it's called um, Iban Woman and it's actually uh, part of a, a trilogy the first one is um, uh, Iban Dream and um, um, Iban Journey. That's the second one. And it's by Golda Mowe, M-O-W-E. I'm not actually sure how to pronounce that, but um, I'm into this. I'm into like the first uh, third and I'm really enjoying it. I really, you know, I, I know that what makes it enjoyable is that this is really, this feels so much more, you know, closer to home. Um, being steeped in, you know, Iban uh, mythology, uh, but uh, I think that, you know, reading things. What I want to say is, uh, 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 you know, reading something that is out of a normal preference has got to be a good thing. And this is published by Monsoon, um, oh. and uh, out of Singapore. In in yeah, and it's uh, published in 2018. Um, but you can you can read. Uh, you know, it's on, it's on. Is, is Golda Moe uh, of Iban connection? Yes, 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 oh, yes. Okay. yes. Um, and I'm just reading the blurb. Um, I need yes, this book. She's the most prolific Iban novelist uh, in English of her generation. Wow. Um, uh, and yeah, so you know how kind of, you know, a classic people are like, oh, you haven't read that yet. I'm like, Oh, well, I haven't, uh, but, uh, and why am I reading? This is the third one. I'm not waiting to get the other two, you know, it's just, I just want to read it. I just, ah, just, cool. just read it. And I'm, 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 oh, it's, 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 it's very, good. it's going to goes down to three. 
I want to read that, man. My wife, my wife's Iban, so yeah. Oh, yeah? <laughs> That's okay. right. I've got Iban name when the Longhouse gave me. They gave me a name, Libao. Anyway, yeah, what I want. I want to find what out what does that mean. Libao is uh, Rentaps or a real name. So the artist during Gawai, I think they see how champion I am during Gawai. I think they can Libao. So, but but I, I'm gonna find out. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow you up on this. <laughs> I want to okay. find this. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Okay. So that's uh, Golda Ooh. Moy's. Uh, trilogy. Woman is the one, but it's a trilogy, yeah. So yeah, Iban trilogy, I guess we could call it. Wow. Fantasy fiction steeped in Iban mythology. Cool. Wow. Nice. All right. Uh, all right. So, uh, well, one extreme to the other. My my recommendation is it's just recently. It's a documentary that's just recently been dropped onto Netflix here in Malaysia. Uh, came out mm, a couple of years ago. It's called uh, "They Shall Not Grow Old." It's uh, it's a it's it's about the First World War, I, um, the trenches of the First World War, and I'm always fascinated by the First World War because it's fascinating. But I also have to. I actually had family that were out there, and um, but what I what I really love, I just it's really a brilliantly made documentary. It's made by Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings. Peter Jackson. He's oh. he's taken all of this footage. A lot of footage was shot. Uh, between 1914 and 1918 and if you if you think of this black and white footage it's always got that jerky kind of thing because it was being fra- it was shot at like 24 frames per second as, as opposed to 25 so everything's a bit jerky that kind of charlie chaplin thing so he's changed the speed so that the movements are much more naturalistic he's also colorized it very well and put sound in uh, and also he got lip readers to 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 look at the the people the men in the shots and and so you can hear their voices as they're talking it just looks like very naturalistic film and then back in the 1970s a lot of these uh sold uh, uh, ex-soldiers were interviewed when they were still in their well i guess they would have been in their, their 70s by then and um so the the, the documentary just has their voices the whole way through. We never stop to see their faces. We know nothing about their names, but it's just voice, oh. voice, voice describing the situation. And, and, and I just think it's a really brilliantly made documentary. And uh, it's a, really a template for how to take stock footage and voices and to make a very realistic and, uh, um, and a kind of experience you can really feel the 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 activities on the screen so is they shall not grow old it's on netflix now and i think it's terrific they shall not grow old they shall not grow old it's the kind of prayer that's uh, said of the fallen um the uh, you know okay. they shall not grow old their la- their names shall live forevermore ah. so uh asmil what's your recommendation oh yeah um well, there. I think again, it's the COVID blues just sitting in front of screens, right? Hmm. Occupy yourself. Hmm. Uh, I've been a bit more cheapskate, so I go to YouTube. Um, <laughs> so, so I discovered this channel. Um, it's a really cool channel about this one one British guy who goes to. He travels around with just a camera. It's not your typical travel kind of like YouTube channel where they remind you to subscribe and all that stuff. So he just goes around very nonchalant. But he's very knowledgeable about history. He's very fascinated about one thing, about Soviet history. Mm-hmm. So his channel is called, well, his channel is called two things that I'm not yet. His channel is called Bald and Bankrupt. <laughs> so check it out. So, so um, but fascinating. I don't know how I bumped into it. So, but it was interesting because, you know, the, the USSR was history. I love history, but, but I was never really, I didn't know how to get into, find out the history about that part of the world. But through his journey, so he, he has, has his fascination about Soviet 
And he always looks for a Soviet sink. So he bre- there's a recent episode, he kind of breaks into a former Soviet prison and he stops, he sees a Soviet sink and he's like, Soviet sink. So he has this very, you know, when, when you follow people who are obsessed about particular things, it's very fascinating. Um, and, but he's very knowledgeable. So as he walks around with just one camera, mm. he's, he's, he's really dispensing history and, and doesn't sound boring. And he tries, very, he tries different things and he really mingles. What I read was that he's been really commended by, by reviewers for, for really trying to get to know locals. So he ended up in a park drinking with a local winos. <laughs> you know, or you know, get invited to dinner by, by, by the older lady folk. So it's very interesting. Um, and I think he's he's quite a sensation. He's got like a couple million of followers within a year. And he started a new channel called The Daily Bald or something. So he, he plays on that. Um, so uh, he's not as prolific now because he can't travel, but he did travel during um, the early COVID stages in, in Europe. So he was wearing masks and all that stuff. So check it out. Um, I think a lot of Malaysian travel vloggers could learn from him. Don't be so, don't don't hard hard sell uh, too much of your channel. You know, do like this guy. He's kind of like very nonchalant but knowledgeable. Mm. Check it out. Ball and bankrupt. He sounds great. I will definitely check. I that think out. you. I think yeah, you dig it, man. <laughs> this guy is really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't need our influencers on beaches in Bali. No, no, no. Yeah. Soviet what, sinks. What? Sorry. Why does he call it? Uh, Bota and bankrupt. Oh well, he's bald, and then he said something that he 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 had run a business something. I don't know in Europe or the UK. He's British, right? So, but I think he went bankrupt. So he went on a travel. So he said it's two things that he used. He was, well, he is still bald, but I guess he's not so bankrupt. But yeah, his backstory is quite interesting. I think there's a lot of gossip. Also, I googled some people saying like, what's his background? How he does he know so much about USSR? Was he a former, you know, like double like James agent. Bond spy, yeah, double agent <laughs> or what? So, so check it out. It's it's hmm. interesting. Definitely, Randy, I yeah. I will. I definitely <laughs> will. So, uh, with that, we come to uh, the end of this week's show, and um, and so it only remains for me to one say good luck with the continued MCO, guys. Uh, you're going to be yeah. okay. Yeah, and uh, take it uh, easy and be safe out there. And so, a uh, special thanks to Anne Lee. Thank you, Tom. Thank, right. thank, thank Asmil. Welcome. Uh, and Asmil, you know, and uh, Asmil, do you have any uh, online? Are you doing any performances or anything? Uh, albums? Oh, well, no, no. Actually, yeah, since we, I was last year, I released an album last year. So, um, check out asmil.bandcamp.com. I released an album called John Bungie Blues. Cool. Um, dedicated my adopted hometown here in Bangi. Not a sexy topic, you know. So no, I don't. Asmail dot what? And uh, Asmail, are you giving this music away, or are you charging? No, no, no. I actually pre- released an album, and during when the second, when the first MCO was lifted, I was delivering it to homes, and um, sold quite a lot. So, I, but I do have it on Bandcamp. You can support me. You can download the album. It's not on Spotify. So it's not for free. So support. Right. Okay. Support local. Cool, cool. <laughs> All right. So uh, Thank you. <laughs> support Asmu, you know, uh, our <laughs> one and only protest singer. And uh, <laughs> thanks for me. Also, Cam Ruslan. And please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9 the business station.